You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we are releasing panel one from the Business Capital and Exit Strategy Summit, Insights from Silicon Valley, that took place on December 2nd, 2022 in Austin, Texas. This event, this half-day summit, the Silicon Valley Podcast partnered with Gobato, Gobato CEO Darren Herman, brought in some amazing people to moderate an amazing venue. It was a great collaboration amongst the groups. We had many other amazing partners that you are going to meet throughout the release of these panels. There's four total. Once again, this is the first one. So with that, let's start this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Again, I want to welcome you all to the Business Capital and Exit Strategy. Um, I'm excited to announce these panels because it's, it's, I'm very honored to be Working with a lot of them as an introduction, I'm Brian Sparks. I'm head of communication, no relation, <laughs> head of communication for Bay Angels. I'm also an executive communication coach out of Silicon Valley. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our first panel. Our first panel is going to be raising startup capital. First up, I'd like to introduce Sean Flynn. Sean Flynn is an investment banker, mergers and acquisitions and growth capital. He's also the head of Silicon, the Silicon Valley podcast and a great connector. Sean? Our next panelist is Roger King. Roger King is the founder of Bay Angels. Again, another huge connector in the space and is somebody you need to know if you're getting to launch your business. Roger? All right. Finally, I'd like to introduce Sam Wong. Sam Wong is the CEO of Fundable Startups and Venture Validator, one of the smartest people and most insightful individuals I know. So if you have any questions about all the chess pieces on the board of startup, this is your man to talk to, Sam Wong. And your moderator for this panel is Wen Zhang. Come on up, Wen. Wen is the CEO of If Not Now, When. She's also the CEO of an accelerator here in Austin. I'll turn it over to you, Wen. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, everybody. Wow, happy Friday. We are so excited for each and every one of you be here today. And if we have not met, my name is Wen, just like If Not Now, Wen. <laughs> today, I'm the founder and CEO of INNW Institute. We believe that raising capital is the number one skill set for entrepreneurs for any growth stage. And that's why I personally so excited for today, the first panel. So with that, I'm going to kick off the first question. I would love our panelists go around to share about yourself, your experiences, and most importantly, your path in raising capital. Uh, so... Uh, I'm Sam Wong. I run a company called Fundable Startups. I came to do what I do as a startup coach, uh, running an academy for uh, basically for founders to be able to upskill your founder skills. That's the most important thing is when you're raising early stage uh, funds, many investors say they care a lot about the team. So that's what we're trying to do. I came to do what I do now because I've done five startups. 
The first two of them flamed out horribly, even though they were very viable. The last three, thankfully, did get acquired. And having gone through that process, you learn what works and what doesn't work. So I'm trying to give back to people what I wish I had when I was a first-time CEO. Yes, Roger. Hi, everybody. What an honor to be here. It's my first time to uh, Austin. I'm really impressed with uh, the people here and the city. It's got a really great vibe about it. So I founded Bay Angels about 25 years ago. Uh, 30 years ago, I was running a public company in London, England, and discovered uh, San Francisco on a business trip. I wasn't looking to have a job, so I started a, a search company called Chief People. So I spent the last 30 years building the executive and engineering teams of early stage companies. And I learned right away, <coughs> companies need three things. Obviously, they need customers, they need people, which I can provide, but they also need capital. So I got into the uh, angel investing group and my hat's off for entrepreneurs because it's what's made me an accredited investor. Thank you, Roger. Hi, my name is Sean Flynn. Uh, my journey's a pretty different than most people. I lived in China for about five years. Uh, I did have a I had couple failures, but one did okay. Sold it, came back to the US, got involved with Bay Angels as an investment director, screening about 100 companies a month, narrowing that down to the, a few that we'd present to the members. Through that, I got basically a long story short, I then got involved with taking companies from Silicon Valley to set up operations in mainland China and tech parks that Hua Xia Xingfu, one of the largest privately owned land development companies were built. They built 83 tech parks. So I would take companies from Silicon Valley over to China, set up operations, have the meetings with investors there, with governments, whoever they need to talk to to get things done. And then from that, I made a lot of introductions to a lot of investment bankers here, a lot of VCs, a lot of, you know, a lot of money. And that kind of segued my path into investment banking, where right now, about 20% of what we do is helping companies raise growth capital, both debt and equity, focus on that range between 10 and 250 million. Since about 2014, 2015, more or less, been very involved with helping companies through that cycle of preparing them, getting them ready, getting them in front of investors, having the conversations. How incredible. So now let's talk about raising capital. What does the process look like? And also most importantly, what if I need the money now? What would you say? Got it. Well, um, in terms of the process, it should not be random. And you should not Google search other companies who are like you and try to mimic them. That will usually not give you the right size because it's not a one size fits all. There is a structured process. I am an engineer. So I encourage people to use a structured process to be able to figure out. It's about building a funding strategy to learn how do you determine how much money you need, when you need it, and why. And that funding strategy means you raise funds after you hit an inflection point. Because then you are at a higher valuation. You want to raise at the peak of your opportunity to give you the most leverage. So you determine your inflection points, product, sales and marketing, business development, and intellectual property. You determine the cost and time required to do each of them, and you roll that up, and that tells you how much you need to raise. Do not guess. You need to look at it from a bottoms-up perspective so you have high confidence that the amount that you raise is right. The other question that you asked is, when's the right to, what if you raise money now? Well, that's a challenge because I would say the number one thing you need to focus on is fundability. Before you try to fundraise, make sure you're fundable. There's an old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time is now. If you aren't fundable and you need money now, okay, that's a challenge. It would have been better to focus on fundability 
you know, the last year or two. However, if you do need money now, make sure you figure out your inflection points and figure out how can you get by with a small amount. And when that, when you roll up the inflection points, it should add up to a milestone that an investor would care about. You're going to tell the investor, I need 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever the dollar amount is. And if you give me that money, this is what you will get back. I will be able to get to $10,000 monthly recurring revenue, or I will be able to uh, close that customer who's given me a letter of intent. Make sure if you need, if you're, if you need the money now, figure out what's the smallest amount that you need to raise. Because as Doug Leone, uh, former general partner of Sequoia Capital said, raise the least amount that you can um, as late as you can. But if you need the money now, figure out what that dollar amount is and uh, you know, tell an investor what you've done so far to get somewhat fundable and then what you will do with the money that they will give you. I love that so much. It's not just about how much money I need. Rather, it's what result I can create for you. In other words, when we're having a conversation with an investor, it's really not about me. It's about the investor, what return he or she can create on that. So thank you for the insight. Roger? So I would add to that uh, in terms of the process. You better have raised some friends and family money before you approach an angel group. Because if, if your friends and family don't believe in you and you're asking me to write a check, it's probably not going to happen. And the other thing I'd like to pass on to the group is, what do, what do you think is the biggest mistake that most entrepreneurs, when they approach uh, an angel investor, they haven't done their homework. You need to know who is the audience. What have they invested in in the, in the past? And not only that, what do these people do on a daily basis? We get pitched all day long, blah, 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 blah. And, and a guy comes into our office, we have no idea what he's going to talk about, whether he's got a medical device or a, a, a new way to slice bread or whatever. So do your research, make sure you're talking to somebody who's invested in the space that you're in, and then boil it down. You know, you guys live with this stuff 24-7. You know every detail about it. Start out by, like, talking about your grandmother. Honey, what is it you're working on? Well, Grandma, we're working on a new way for people to rent cars that, you know, we don't own, or whatever it is, and then get into the woods. But most of you start out you're way into the woods, you know, I've had four meetings today. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not an engineer. So boil it down. Do your homework. And in terms of raising capital, people think, oh, it's really, really hard. It's, it's not that hard. It's a simple process if you think about it. So find somebody who's been funded and they're in a similar space that you're in. And then call that CEO and ask them if he or she would give you an introduction to the venture firm that funded you. Because there's, in this business, there's nothing more valuable than an introduction. I love that, Roger. And I love the point you brought up about explaining our ideas simply. You know, today, well, not today, many, many years ago, Albert Einstein used to say, if we cannot explain our ideas simply, we simply don't understand it. So it's so important as entrepreneurs, as founders, to tell the right vision, to tell the right story in the simple way so everyone can see the world that you see because at the end of the day, you are just one pitch away from changing the world, and your story had the power to do that. And I love the power about uh, the, the point about friends and family, because guess what? Next Thanksgiving, you're going to see your uncle trail, okay? You better have a good idea and good result, otherwise you're going to feel awkward. So in other words, if you're able to really get that money from the friends and family with, you know, with that commitment, with that, yes, I'm going to do this because I'm going to see you next year Thanksgiving. 
as an investor, they know you're going to hustle. And that is what they bet on. It's not at this moment your, your progress, your result, your revenue all in the bar, which is amazing. But this very moment, in the early stage, it's all betting on your hustle, your commitment, how you want to serve your customers. And I love that insight so much. Thank you, Roger. Well, I guess I'm going to be the contrarian a little bit and you know, careful Please. which friends and families you go to. <laughs> Do the ones that you're, you're borderline, I don't really mind if I don't see them again or not. Because <laughs> in reality, it's more likely that's going to happen than, than the other. But diving deeper in the process. So it's very similar to, I mean, a structure that, that you might be interested in using. And I have a podcast, the Silicon Valley podcast. I've actually interviewed everyone on the panel on that podcast. One of the people I interviewed was Nathan Beckham, the founder of Founder Suite. And we just talked about the funding process step by step by step by step. And a way you could look at it, very structured, very engineered. And this is how we do it at the investment bank I'm at. And it's very similar to an exit. So you gather all your marketing material, all your material on the company and create a data room. That data room has everything about it. Articles and corporation, the org structure, the cap table, the financials, if you have any, your pro forma, where you're going to use them, everything you can think of, put in one central location. And then from that, you're creating your marketing materials. That marketing material could be your pitch deck, could be a blind profile, could be a sim, depending on what you're doing, the stage of your company. But think that that pitch deck. You're taking the information from the data room, creating the pitch deck from it. You're seeing where your gaps are, right? You have something to reference. You're saying, okay, what information do I need? What am I missing? You're, you're, you're testing it out with people, having conversations, getting feedbacks, changing. While that's happening, you're also creating your investor list. Your investor list, as mentioned, you know, do your homework. It should be the same people that would write checks for your size of company, your sector, everything. Do your homework so you're not wasting anyone's time. Yes, warm intros are fantastic, but the problem is getting a warm intro that's not relevant. So many people are so nice and they'll go, oh, Roger, uh, you have to meet so-and-so. Okay, Sean made the intro. I'll take that meeting. And then after that meeting, Roger calls me up. Why, why would you make that intro? I'm like, well, you know, the person was nice. We had a conversation and I didn't know anyone else to introduce him to. And, you know, you got stories. So I made the intro. But it was a waste of each person's time. You know, Roger wouldn't invest in that type of company at that stage, that sector. And that company is looking for angels and, and, and got nothing out of that meeting other than, you know, a drive there, half hour, an hour and drive back really target, have that list of 100, 200 potential investors that really match up with your company. Like I said, sector, check size, geographic location, the list can go on and on, narrow it down, build that relationship early. Like really, there's a saying I love that hopefully here in Austin, everyone gets, you feed an army for a year to use for a day, right? You build these relationships long-term so that that one day when you need them, they're there for you. So start with that list and go, okay, I'm going to just have casual conversations. I'm going to ask for feedback. I'm going to create this mail and this once a, once a month or quarterly email that tells them about the updates. It says, this is what we've accomplished. This is what we need help on. An introduction here. Hey, these are thank yous for everyone that's helped us in the past. So you're building those relationships. You have that investors. Okay. Then after that, now it's time to raise capital. You go out, send out your pitch deck, have the meetings, go into due diligence step by step by step, get the term sheets, get the check. But really it's process one, two, three, four, close. And if you think about that from day one and match that up with, as Sam said, those inflection points, those value inflection points on biz dev, patents, and the other items that I mentioned, line that up with your funding, the process, you're really optimizing 
everything. And, and I'd love to get more feedback on anything I missed there, but and, and questions later about it. But really, there is that prepare these steps to prepare for that day. And it's not just you need money today, we do it tomorrow. It's no, you're doing this from day one for six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months down the line. I love that point. Truly, it is a long journey. It's not just today, I need money, tomorrow, let's write a check. Oftentimes, I, I want to tell folks, you know, raising capital is like dating world. You first met a, a gal, a, 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 a gentleman, you, you hopefully like him or like her. The goal is get next meeting schedule rather than tomorrow. He or she say, yes. I want to marry you tomorrow right here. So I love the point so much. And thank you, Sean, for breaking down that into detail, process, step by step, so we all can envisionize what the process might look like. So now we all know, right, understand the big picture about raising capital. And now my next question for all the panelists is, you know, now think about the past two years we lived through the pandemic. Think about the, the recent economic downturn that we all heard about, right? So how does that impact the, the raising capital process? What do you, what do you hear? Any advice to share with entrepreneurs? So I work with an accelerator called Berkeley Skydeck. So uh, we've had a number of investors come into the Skydeck cohorts and talk about the fact that, yes, the market has changed. It has definitely gone down, but they are still writing checks. What it requires, though, is for companies to be fundable. Before, there was... There, there is an element in the um, venture capital space of fear of missing out. So once one investor goes in, it's easier to get the second, third, or fourth. Okay, um, So there's certainly that. But in today's day and age, with today's economic situations, that you can't rely on that to get you over the hump. You need to focus on building a healthy, fundable company. Those companies are absolutely still getting funded. They're getting decent valuations. Okay. Um, so I would say focus on executing well, plant and fertilize your tree, so to speak, and make sure that you are building something that somebody wants to invest in. That's wonderful. Build a great company and the money will always follow. So in terms of what's happened in the last two years with COVID, it's actually been a blessing to my recruiting business because I've been able to recruit people from all over the country for my Silicon Valley companies, and I don't have to pay Silicon Valley wages. People are working from home. They're a lot more uh, creative. Clients don't have to fund expensive office spaces. So I'm hoping that after COVID is gone, this becomes the new normal. Uh, in terms of investing, we're spending less money on salaries. We're spending less money on uh, office space, et cetera. The other thing that's happening is you know, we just laid off 25,000 engineers in Silicon Valley, 25,000. I've been through two of these dot-com failures. And, and the first one, 2001, engineers were lined up at Starbucks just to get a job. Well, in between those two things, or those two events, engineers are like gods. They've got, they can go to 10 different companies. You've got to pay them almost as much as you pay a CTO. That's not true right now, and it won't last for long, but this is a great time to start a company. It's a great time to hire people. What you're going to see is you're going to see lower valuations, and there's a tremendous amount of competition for that money. But like you said, that money's still out there. And the last thing I want to say is I want to be sure everybody understands the difference between angel investors and venture capitalists. Venture capitalists have a lot of money, and they have a lot of power. I call, but they just follow us. You know, we write with our own checks. And this, it doesn't get more personal than that. You're asking me to write a check out of my pocket. You know, that's personal. So VCs, bless their hearts, and they're a big part of the economy. 
but in my opinion, they're, they are heavily armed sheep. Wow. Thank you. John? I'm just looking at the reactions from the room. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I'm kind of guessing one or two people are VCs here. And, uh... <laughs> but going back to what Sam was talking about, about plenty of dry powder there. Think of, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is VC funds, private equity funds, all, all this institutional money. When they raise their capital, it's to be deployed over a certain number of years. Right, they have to deploy it, or they they give it back to their LPs. No one wants to do that because you know they, they want to use it. They want to get their their management fees. They they want they want to use the money. So when the money was raised, say four years ago, it got deployed over over the pandemic. Pandemic people raised a ton of money. So there's a lot of money still on the sideline that's that's got to be deployed in the next two years, right? So there's plenty of opportunity for companies. Yeah, they are going to be more picky because. You know, their LPs are, are looking over their shoulder a little bit more, but the money's still there to be deployed. So everyone should keep that in mind when they hear things on the news of, you know, these people are getting laid off. Well, there's also that money on the sideline that needs to be deployed. Now, going to Rogers about this is a great time to start a company, to build a company. I mean, I, I just had a, a conversation with a VC in Miami and was really interesting is she's starting to see all these companies that were... Founders at Palantir and all, well, a lot of these companies where not, let's not use Palantir, let's use another one that, that, that's private company that people were sitting on all these options and they were thinking, wow, these options are going to be huge one day, but they're seeing their companies, you know, decline. And now they're going, well, staying with this company, it's not as, it's not as great as it once was. The opportunity cost to leave right now isn't as high. I'm going to leave right now and start my own company. So we have that, we have engineers being laid off, we have all this money on the sideline. It's a great opportunity in, in a year, two years from now, we're gonna see a lot of companies that were started at this time start hitting the news. So it's a great opportunity. Okay, for entrepreneurism, it's always a great opportunity because as long as there's a problem, you find a solution that's just in your nature. But you know, keep the news and that to the side, figure out how to, how to get through it. But the money is there and there's money flooding in from overseas as well that a lot of people aren't talking about. And then there's a lot of money on the sidelines from overseas that are really waiting for that opportunity to flood to the US. So another thing to keep in mind. Love that. So sum up, all the money is coming your way. So lack of all the negativities <laughs> in the new year, ready to get all the checks. So with that, I'm going to ask the next question is, you know, what are Maybe one of the blind spots that oftentimes founder has in the raising capital process. Founders are passionate about what they do. A lot of people describe their company as their baby, and that's understandable. The one huge mistake that I see founders make when trying to pitch to an investor is they take their story that they're trying to tell a customer and they just tell that story to an investor. Okay, that's wrong. All right. You tell this, a product story to your customer, hoping the customer will buy it. The story that you need to tell an investor is your business story. Tell enough about the product to help them understand. But you, the focus of the presentation should be your business. How do you tell that? How do you do that? What is your focus of the investor pitch deck? There are two things that are important in an investor pitch deck. One is what I just mentioned, the story. Make sure your story is clear, concise, understandable. Write it at the level of a children's book. Okay. The second thing that I would recommend is focus is... You need to de-risk. You, you need to show how you have de-risked the company. Okay, And there are 
12 different uh, areas that I usually do when I uh, do coach, pitch coaching. There are 12 specific areas to focus on how to tell the story. Each one of them, uh, there's probably about six or seven of them where you have to specifically show how you de-risks specific challenges that will usually take a company down. If you can convince an investor that you have solved these seven, eight, nine common uh, risk areas, then your likelihood of getting investment is very high. Do not tell a product story to an investor. Tell a business story to the investor. Wait, Sam, what did, tell us about one of these de-risk things. I'm curious. Yes. What yeah. is one example? Yeah. So uh, uh, one of my favorites is going to be traction. Okay. I am a data guy. For you to tell me that uh, I'm going to conquer 1% of a $10 billion market, I'm like, I don't care. Everybody says that. Okay. So what I want to know is show me how you have already given trash. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me, show me what you plan to do over the a three-year period and how the last six months you are tracking to plan. That helps me to see. I, by looking back six months and you showing me the line is going up and to the right, I'm like, okay, you're on a good pathway here. Okay, you have potential to execute well. If you've done the last six months well and this is your plan, then I have more confidence that the next 24 months might go the way that you're telling me it's going to go. So make sure I am a big fan of the traction side. There's tons more, but there's uh, um, what, what I would definitely say uh, uh, as well about the traction stuff. The trending is, is very important. Don't tell me you sold $100 worth of total sales. I don't care. But if you tell me you sold $10, $20, $30 and $40 the last four months. Ah, the numbers are going up and to the right. Okay. That's an example of showing me the trend, showing me the proof rather than just, oh, I got $100 in total revenue over what, 10 years? Okay. <laughs> Great point. In the performance world, people say, show, don't tell. It is exactly that. Thank you. So to your point, nobody believes the 1%. Nobody believes the hockey stick that we see on the, on the revenue forecast. But what we would believe, bring me a potential customer who says, if you build this service or this product, I would use that. That would impress me. Uh, the other thing I want to say is, before you ask for money, go as far as you can with the money you've raised. I mean, uh, 25 years ago, I remember Pets.com got like a $25 million valuation based on their URL, Pets.com, and that was it. Well, then the next thing you know, fast forward 25 years ago, at Bay Angels, we're looking at companies that have revenue that have never raised any capital at all. So I'm not saying you have to have revenue, but the, yep. the whole model has changed. Show us something that you've got some traction, that you've developed a product, you've got some beta users, and then go out for money. So go, go as far as you can and do as much as you can with as little as possible before you ask for money. And then when you do ask for money, don't put back wages in your financial forecast. We don't care about, you know, making you right on the $10,000 a month you should have been paying yourself as a founder. That's, that's not where my money is going. Thank you so much. I totally zoned out when you asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one biggest mistake or uh, blind sign a founder has in, when it comes to raising capital? Those short naps are great, aren't they? They are, really, really. <laughs> Time zone difference, two hours. There, there's a lot of mistakes. It, it, what's I'd say overall, one of the biggest mistakes is the story itself. And why I say why I say that is I'll see a pitch deck, I'll talk to a founder, and 
The pitch deck doesn't say really much of what they've actually accomplished or done. But then after an hour conversation, it's, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this that you weren't able to to tell. And even when they're telling the story, it's I have to ask question after question mm-hmm. to really get that information from them. And it's, it's amazing how, you know, I'll, I'll sit down with a founder and they'll go, yeah, my team, we've known each other for years, is great. And then I'll look and go, wait, your, your team, the history of it, I mean, that person was, was pretty high up at these companies and wait, they've had two exits and the, why didn't you mention any of this stuff? Oh, I didn't think it was a big deal. Like, no, that's a huge deal. That going back to, to Sam, that's de-risking this company. And okay, tell me, tell me about the traction. Oh, we've had sales. Oh, for who? Wait, what are those contracts? Like what? They're for this long, this many years over. The, that's amazing. Why aren't you mentioning that, that you've got these, these purchase orders for, oh, I, I don't know. And, and it's crazy how much, and this goes back to create that data room with everything. When you're talking to people, there's what's happening and then what they're saying. And some people are a little bit too modest. Others brag a little bit too much, but there's that nice little spot in there where you're telling the story, telling everything in a concise way. That's getting that message across that really resonates with the person across from you at the table. I mean, whoever is sitting across, adjust the story for that person, be adaptable, listen to the words they're using, listen to the questions they're asking. Cause that person across from you might really want to focus down on certain metrics right? The person across from you might really want to focus down on the team. That person across from you, you know, build that report, listen, and then, then respond. And I think that's huge. And, you know, it goes back to sales, goes back to a, to a lot of things, but listening to, I guess more than anything, I guess just be, not be nervous in a conversation, just be open to communicating and listening and adjusting to it. I think that's huge. Yeah. You know, um, the, if you can get revenue, brag about the revenue, no doubt about that. But what do you do if you don't have a revenue yet? Okay. So you look at the life cycle of a company. You launch, then you work on a product. Once that product is built, you work on selling it. Then after you sell it, you get revenue. So there are multiple individual phases. If you're pre-product, how can you raise money? You need to focus on validation. Tell me how you've built up a backlog of customers who said, if you build it, I will buy it. All right. Focus on validation. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, I bought a company called Venture Validator. Okay. Because it was a professional services company that specialized in that. Validation is key. Okay. So if you've already built your product, what do you do if you haven't gotten sales yet? Your post product, but your pre-sales. Talk to me about your pipeline. Okay. You should have a sales pipeline, a funnel that shows from the top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom. You may not have gotten a customer all the way through just yet. Show me how big the pipeline is. Show me how hard it was. How much money did you spend to get somebody in at the top of the pipeline? Then how much time, money, and effort did it take to get them from that stage to the next stage below to the next stage below? Show me real data, real numbers. And then if you are post-revenue, then show me unit economics, okay? At that point, you can show stuff like customer acquisition cost, et cetera. Until you have a customer, you don't know what the customer acquisition cost is. Show me those numbers, and then I can make a more informed decision about whether this company has any potential and whether I should write a check or not. Love it. Show us the money. Before we dive into the last question, get your questions ready, okay? Because we're going to come to you as a real-time question to all the amazing, brilliant people. All right, so last question before we do so is, you know, now they are empowered with all the knowledge, all the insight. Now they got go after for that check. 
What is the one last piece of wisdom you want to partner with? So it's kind of hard to pick one. All right. Um, there's lots of people out there who uh, have lots of suggestions on how to be a raise capital. There's a lot of information. I'm going to try to pick something that people don't usually talk about. And that is when you're putting together your pitch deck, make sure you are very clear on your writing. Okay. This is almost never talked about. I have seen people put 500 words on a slide. I'm like, oh my God, I can't read that. I, you know, besides the fact that my, I'm older and my eyes aren't that good. Okay. You need to make your slide glanceable. Okay. An investor might get dozens of pitch decks a day. If they even choose to look at it, they're going to spend a minute, two minutes, three minutes. So your slides need to be glanceable. And by glanceable, that means very, very few words. So in order to write very tight uh, copy, you need to make sure you know how to write. Very few people talk about this, but if you do it, then your slides will, diff will stand out and be differentiated from the other 10 or 20 decks that an investor is going to get that day. Be short, be sweet, and be gone. I'll bet there's at least one person in this room who's overwhelmed by the process. They've got a great idea. They just moved here. Let's say they just moved here from Canada. They've got no network. They don't have any connections. Uh, they've got a great idea, but they don't know where to start. Well, volunteer and join a, an angel network or work on a committee like this. There are at least four people in this room that used to be uh, interns with Bay Angels. It's a great way to get into the, uh, the network meet some great people, uh, talk to other entrepreneurs, bounce your idea off, off the angel investors and the other um, people that belong to the group. Again, it's not that hard. And back to what you said about spelling on the deck, I've had people make mistakes on their own resume. And if you can't get your own resume straight or your own deck straight, that's, you know, that's, that's a deal breaker to begin with. So pay attention. Thank you. I'd say, I'd say one thing that well, even going back to the mistakes that people make for, for advice is do due diligence on the person you're meeting, right? Know what that person likes, what that person focuses on, find out who they've invested in the past, make sure everything aligns up, really go into that meeting with the questions you want to ask them with what you want to get out of that meeting. Ask in, in, in advance, okay, before the end of this meeting, I'm going to ask what the next steps are. Do they have to go to their investment committee? Do I have a meeting with so-and-so next? What are the next steps? And know that, okay, if you really liked what I presented and you're thinking about it because you didn't say no, will you make introductions to other investors you like to co-invest with? Yes or no? No? Well, that means you probably didn't actually like it. Yes? Great. I mean, have these questions in advance for those meetings that you have. Utilize every moment. That would be my, my going away note. I'd like to add one thing to that. Silicon Valley is a very small neighborhood. Everybody knows everybody. So if you do a bad pitch at one group, that's probably going to be the last meeting you get. If you do a great pitch, then, then doors will open. So keep, keep that in mind. And we refer deals back and forth to other groups. We refer good information. We refer bad information. Um, Sean talked about doing your due diligence on the investor. Okay. The investor will probably have a web page and they'll have all these company logos of companies they've invested in. Reach out to the CEO of the, the companies that they brag about that they invested in. See if it's, um, any of them will respond back to you. Of course, get a, um, you know, a story about whether, uh, how it was working with that investor. Then ask that CEO, do you know anybody else that this investor has invested in? 
see if they, that person, because they usually know someone. And if that CEO tells you a name of another company and it's not on the investor list, then contact that guy with all, all the effort that you can, because that's going to be a situation where the investor maybe not be proud of. You need to find out what happened. Okay. So every investor is going to go. The test of a good investor founder relationship is not when things are going good. It's when things are going bad. The test of a good marriage is not when you just cut back from your honeymoon. It's when your kids are driving you crazy. Your, your spouse is like ignoring you or whatever the case. It's those times where you need to evaluate what is that marriage built on. Same thing with a founder investor relationship. Okay. They're going to have all these logos of companies that are successful. See if you can find a company that maybe wasn't that successful. And how did that investor handle that relationship? Brilliant. Pick the right people because he or she going to be with you for a long haul. Thank you so much for the insight. Wow. Happy networking, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.